What are days for? What are days for? Days are where we live. They come, they wake us, time and time over. They are to be happy in. To be happy in. Where can we live but days? Ah, oh, solving that question brings the priest and the doctor in their long coats running over the fields. What are days for? By Philip Larkin. A reading life, a writing life, with writer and teacher Sally Bailey. What are days for? Days are where we live. They come, they wake us time and time over. They come, they wake us time and time over. They are to be happy in. Where can we live but days? Ah, oh, solving that question brings the priest and the doctor in their long coats running over the fields. Days by Philip Larkin, which has been haunting me for days. Days, days, what are days for? Days are where we live, they come, they wake us, time and time over. They are to be happy in. Where can we live but days? Ah, oh, solving that question brings the priest and the doctor in their long coats running, running over the fields. Days, days, what are days for? What are days Yesterday my day was for going to the library. I went on my blue scooter, zoom, 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 and it wasn't raining. It was sunny. It was sunny, in fact, and I parked outside the town library, which was thronging full of people. And I went upstairs. I went upstairs, slowly, slowly, holding the banister, slowly, slowly, what are days for, but for going to the library, for walking, slowly, slowly, up the wooden banister until I could go no further in my day, what are days for, for going to the library, for I was thinking of Philip Larkin, who used to be a librarian, Philip Larkin, the poet we read at school, who always sounds as though his days are going rather bleakly. Days, what are days for, Philip? For going to the library where he used to work in Hull. 
where he used to work and I wondered as I climbed the stairs, as I got to the top of the stairs and could go no further, whether Philip Larkin would come out breezily from the side corner, from the cupboard, from the side door, from the librarian's office, with a trolley full of books, mills and boons, to help me, to help me continue my journey up, up, up the stairs into the first floor of the library where I was looking for two books. Two books, please, I said to the librarian as I sat down heavily in the chair. Do you mind? Do you mind? I said, do you mind if I sit down? My walking isn't very good today. And I showed her my badge, my blue badge. My walking isn't very good today. And I wondered then whether Mr. Philip Larkin might be serving me behind the plastic facade, the plastic counter. We've seem to have put in the way of one another these days. Why is there plastic between me and the librarian? And why is it she cannot hear me through the plastic as I ask for my books? Who decided this was a good idea these days? I say, I wonder if you had The Magus by John Fowles. The Magus, the Magus. And the librarian, she had heard of it for once, because often when I go to the library, they have no idea what I am speaking of. They have no idea about books anymore. They have no idea these days. But this librarian, with her faded brown and grey hair, just exactly the sort of person I expect to find in a library, just exactly the sort of person I remember being in the library in those days when I was growing up. More amiable these days, more amiable the librarian, keener to help, keener to help, keen to tell me that she knew of the book I was asking for by John Fowles. A classic, she said. It's become a classic and it's strange, you know, to see these books that have become classics these days because I remember when that book first came out sometime in the 1980s. 1985, perhaps, when I was only 10 or 12. About then, those days, those days, and now it's a classic, said the librarian. What a funny feeling, what a funny feeling that is. And so I said to her, it isn't very long ago, those days, it isn't very long ago. And then I said to her, I wonder whether you had surprised by... Joy. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Because I'm reading it with one of my students. We are reading it together. Because yesterday I was speaking with one of my students visiting from afar. And I asked her whether she had ever been surprised by the joy of reading. And she said, I used to be, I used to be, I used to be that person in those days. But these days, I find it hard to attach myself to words. Because she is worried, terribly worried, about what it is the world expects of her these days. She wishes to be a medic, to save lives. 
in the trauma room, in the trauma womb, in the trauma room, room, in the trauma ward. She wishes, she wishes these days to save lives. And you know that student, that student of mine, she has been reading short stories and she tells me they are very pleasant and she smiles and she smiles, she smiles and she tells me they are very pleasant. And I can see that those stories, those stories I told her to read by Alice Munro and by Saki, S-A-K-I, I never say his name out loud very often. Those stories made her feel pleasanter about the world. And perhaps the figure of the priest and the doctor will no longer run over the fields towards her these days. Because I do think that we have become rather bleak. And I go to the library. I go to the library because I want to be surprised by joy. And indeed I was. Indeed I was in my encounter with that librarian who let me sit with her for half an hour or so as I decided, as I imagined, how it was I was going to get the heck out of there. Would Philip Larkin appear? Would Mr Larkin appear? Mr. Larkin, the librarian, the famous poet, would he appear with a trolley to push me out towards the lift? Because my legs would not work yesterday, that day, these days. And I was stuck to the library floor. But I was imagining, I was imagining Mr. Philip Larkin bustling about with a trolley full of books. Mills and Boons, I thought to myself, Mills and Boons, and he would come and he would offer me a perch on his trolley and he would push me out towards the lift and I would go down in the lift with Mr. Philip Larkin, out of the library, with Mr. Larkin travelling on a trolley of Mills and Boons books. Back to my scooter, he would carry me back to my scooter and I would ask him to recite me a poem. I would ask him to recite me days. What are days for? Days are where we live. They come. They wake us time and time over. They are to be happy in where can we live but days? Ah, solving that question brings the priest and the doctor in their long coats running, running over the fields. And sometimes, and sometimes, a day Yesterday brings a librarian with a trolley full of books.
And you know, these days, I wonder whether, I wonder whether I've slipped back into the past and become a character, a character a bit like that librarian I met in the Central Library in Oxford, or a character a bit like somebody from a Philip Larkin poem, or a Philip Larkin life. He didn't write novels, but his poems tell stories nonetheless. Of being stuck to feelings on certain days. And he told stories of lives, invisible lives, untold lives. Untold lives, there are so many. We are so many, us. It is us running across the fields with the priest and the doctor. It is us. All our untold lives, all our untold lives. And then there is Edith. Remember her? Edith Cull, my spinster, my supply teacher. What a phrase, supply teaching. And you wonder perhaps why I bother with Edith, the woman with the curt haircut. The woman who walked past our house weekday mornings for years. Over and over, those days, over and over, Edith Cull, you walked by, but never on our side. No, always on the other side, Miss Cull, you were always on the other side. The pilgrim I watched from afar. He who would valiant be against all disaster. Miss Cull would not be happy with my singing. I have not found the key, the cleft notes. He who would valiant be against all disaster. That's better. Let him in constancy, constancy, follow the master. We followed Miss Cull. Miss Skull the Pilgrim. A small black beetle in another life, never a snail. A plain woman, there I've said it, a plain woman. That goes without saying. Still, still, something about her gleamed. Follow the master. There's no discouragement. Shall make him once relent Her first avowed intent To be a pilgrim My to-be My to-be was wavering Still, something about her gleamed Her focus, her sense of purpose Her zeal Her zeal Miss Cull had a mission, at least, to teach us how to sing hymns. We, the forsaken, the unruly, 
to order us into parts as she ordered her cleft notes. He who would valiant be, gainst all disaster. Let him in constancy, constancy, follow the master. The mistress, Miss Cull, was the music mistress. There's no discouragement, my voice is wavering, shall make him once relent, that's better, his first avowed intent, to be a pilgrim, very jolly, very cheerful, I wonder if Miss Carl ever was, beset as she was, round with dismal stories, which do but themselves confound. I am reading the second verse of that hymn. Whoso beset him round with dismal stories do but themselves confound. And I am thinking again of that doctor and that priest running through the fields, holding hands with Mr. Philip Larkin, the librarian from Hull holding hands with Miss Cull, my music teacher. No foe shall stay his might, terrible singing, though he with giants fight. I don't remember singing those lines at school. Perhaps we weren't allowed to sing about giants fighting. Though he with giants fight. And what giants, I wonder, was Miss Cull fighting? The trees. The trees, as she passed through Lobswood. Lobswood, that sacred place I write of her all the time, the trees. And I'm thinking of that poem by Philip Larkin with the same title. The trees. The nettles, the nettles, as they grabbed at her dry skirt, Miss Cole's dry skirt, with their wet fingers, the nettles, as they grabbed at her dry skirt, with their wet fingers, the nettles, the nettles, the naughty nettles, down, down, Edith, down, down, Edith, the nettles said, come down, lie down with us, why not? No, away, you fiends, says Miss Cole in her dreams. Poor Tom hath been scared out of his good wits. Poor Tom. King Lear. Shakespeare. You must know it. Bless thee. Bless thee. Bless thee from the foul fiend. Poor Tom. King Lear. Wandering across the heath together like the doctor and the priest in that poem by Philip Larkin. Because you see, Miss Cull sees demons everywhere. In the mud that clings to her shoes, in the wild parsley that bites at her stockings. Away, away, foul fiends, away, away, foul fiends, she says out loud as she crosses through Lobswood on the way to school to teach her unruly crowd of children. Us. 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 But Miss Cull sends them all away. She sends them away, those interfering species, those wild things. 
us, us, we unruly children as we were then, hobbididents, 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 and you know I've only just said that word out loud for the first time, hobbididents, hobbididents, hobbididents with you, obbidicut, 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 you foul fiends, these words are from Shakespeare, flippity gibbet, you'll have heard of that one, that demon is familiar. I'm sure. A word we used a lot. A word my grandmother used a lot. Flippity jibbit. Flippity jibbit. Obbity cut. I never heard that one before. Hobby didn'ts. Obbity cut. Hobby didn'ts. Those foul fiends. Miss Carl sends them all away. Those fiends she cannot tame. Us. Us. Green things, children, those little savages, those little savages, living on small boats in the harbour where I grew up. Children of fisher folk, clinging to her skirts. Away, you foul fiends, you hobbididents, you obbidicut, you flippity gibbets. Filthy hands, filthy hands and filthy claws, sprawling crabs. Crabs, thinks Miss Carl as she steps briskly over the bracken on her way to school. Miss Carl is fond of crisp sounds. She does not like percussion. Only the piano. Only the human voice. He who would valiant be against all disaster. My note is off. My note is off. Miss Carl only likes the human voice when it is on to the right notes. Only hymns and folk songs, the occasional sea shanty, an aria or two. Nothing shrill. Of course. Of course she wishes for better voices, but beggars can't be choosers. And Miss Carl has one or two who can hold a tune. Sandra. Sandra can hold the tune. And Miss Cull lifts her eyes up through the trees, up through the trees. The clouds are threatening today. She tightens the belt of her Macintosh and lifts her laced shoes just a little higher, just a little higher. Away, you foul fiends! Away, you foul fiends, I imagine she said to the nettles as she lifts her laced shoes. They pinch at the toes, they pinch, but Miss Carl has forgotten this at 8.15 in the morning because she has been up since dawn. She wakes when the light is breaking and sings her hymns. Her hymns. Her hymns. so beset him round with dismal stories do but themselves confound his strength the more is no foe shall stay his might though he with giants fight he will make good his right to be a pilgrim to be a pilgrim
Thank you for listening to A Reading Life, A Writing Life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like it, give us a review, or mention us to friends or on social media.